Well, it ties into that idea of a lot of times people can't throw something out if it's going in the garbage. If they can delude themselves into thinking that someone else is making use of it somehow, then that makes it more palatable. So you find these parents yeah, holding on to these books to give to some, to, like, as of yet unconceived grandchildren uh, who will then probably scribble on it, destroy it, and it'll get thrown away anyway. Welcome to the Medical Dads Podcast, a parenting podcast by two dads who happen to be medical doctors. I'm one of your co-hosts, Dr. Stuart Harmon, a pediatric emergency room physician and father of four from Ottawa, Ontario. I want to be in the podcast. Daddy, do you know what you're doing? Can I play a game on your computer? Daddy, where's mommy? And I'm your other co-host, Dr. David Shu, a family doctor from Toronto, Ontario. Welcome aboard. All right, Dr. Harmon, we're back for another episode of Medical Dads. Uh, we are, and we're ready to talk about books. Yes, again. That's right. So basically, yes. So basically, I decided, we decided that our book episodes are so fun to do <laughs> that we're going to make it a regular feature on this show. It, yeah. And it's not because we don't like talking about medicine, but books is just way more fun to talk about. Initially, when we did our first episode on reading, we had this whole section where we felt the need to like justify why reading is important. Like if you ever listen to this episode, we actually got some quotes about like how important literacy is and all this stuff. We're just going to skip all that and get right into the meat of the matter, which is what are some good books for kids and maybe even what are some good books for adults? Just assume that people agree with us that it is good for children to read, although there's some room for debate, apparently, <laughs> whether literacy is actually a, a positive or a minus. Yeah, if you are still sitting on the fence about that issue, I invite you back into season one of Medical Dads. I just like the idea that, uh, you know, we didn't write the book on podcasts, but we can podcast on books. <laughs> Would we be qualified to write a book about podcasting? No way, not at all. <laughs> but can we podcast about the topic of books? Yeah, sure. Anyone could do that. <laughs> so before we get into it, my daughter had a... Sometimes she pops up with these one-liners that are just hilarious. <laughs> so I had to share this one when she said it to me. could barely keep a straight face. The other morning, her and her brother are sitting at a table and they see that I'm preparing breakfast, right? Yeah. And my daughter looks at me and is like, I'm so glad that I'm not a daddy. <laughs> right? I'm like, why? What's so bad about being a dad? Ah. <sighs> You have to do so much stuff when you're a dad, she says. Yeah. I'm like, like what? What do I have to? What do you perceive that I have to do that makes it so brutal to be a dad? Right? She's like, well, first of all, you have to kill all the spiders, and then you have to wipe the dirty bums. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, that is true. Guilty as charged in our house. The spiders come to me, and sometimes I try to set them free and let them out, but the dirty bums, you can't let that out. You gotta, you gotta close those up right away. <laughs> How old's your daughter now? She she wipes her own bum. That's the record plural. So if it's not her bum, then it's got to be your son and your wife. <laughs> no, no, no. It's at this point, it's just my son. But you know, the daughter in the past, that was all. That job fell to us as well. Yeah. Right? Like I remember one time there's I was I overheard a conversation of a guy I knew vaguely who was getting married and he was talking about the role of men yeah. in society. And most of us, you know, we kind of accept, you know, the role of man has changed and the role of dad has changed. Yeah. Right. But his whole thing was like the role of dad and man has changed so much that why can't we just have this one thing? Right. 
parenting. Like it used to be the woman's job, but how is even this now has become the man's job? Wait, what is he trying to say exactly? <laughs> his, his, his argument that he thinks the pendulum has swum so far that uh, women don't do any parenting and that that dads single-handedly are doing it. That's just what he's yeah, saying. Yeah, he, he prefers a society where men and women are have delineated different things to do, I think. Okay. There's too much overlap to that's mudding the waters for him, I think. <laughs> so he doesn't care what the roles are as long as they're clearly <laughs> defined. So he's fine. Oh, I think he does <laughs> care what the roles are. <laughs> looks like somebody's fallen behind on his spider killing and bum wiping at his house. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I wonder, this was years ago, but that line always stuck with me because I had never heard a guy talk like this, even in private, right? <laughs> maybe guys think about this stuff all the time, maybe, but I never heard people actually discussing it, you know, even amongst, in a room of men. I gotta say, I don't think that's really crossed my mind before, this complaint that the, the roles aren't delineated enough. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, nobody's, nobody's telling you what you have to do when you get married, right? You can negotiate that with your partner if you, if you really, but I, I just, it sounds like this guy's trying to say that, uh, uh, that he just does, he wants to do less stuff. <laughs> Maybe this was the point. Maybe he was rehearsing the argument before he brought it back to his <laughs> yeah. soon-to-be wife. <laughs> I got to get my argument straight, see if this thing will stick. Hopefully he sort of like got the gist that, okay, okay, if this didn't pass muster with the guys, then <laughs> it's not ready for prime time with the wife. <laughs> All right. So let's talk a little bit about books then. Okay. So first thing I got to say is I asked my daughter, like I told her, you know, we're going to be talking about books and she's the bit of the reader of the family now. Yeah. So I was like, what do you, what do you want to talk to Uncle Stu about if we're, if we're talking about books? And she's like, first of all, you got to thank him for the recommendation of Phoebe and her unicorn. Right? Because nice. she loves this series. And if, for people who don't know, this is the series. It's, it's a comic, right? It, actually, we talked about it in our sequential art comic episode a few months back. Yeah. And after you talked about it, I was like, okay, let's give this thing a try, right? And it is a little bit like Calvin and Hobbes. So yeah. it, there's a young female protagonist and then her dainty unicorn. And the two of them have this back and forth conversation. And there's a, bit, a few other side characters. But from what I gather, it actually is a strip that's lifted from the newspapers and collected into like anthology form. If I remember the history correctly, it was a woman who was a uh, uh, published a web comic strip. So oh, she, right. she did it on the internet, and then someone convinced her, "Yeah, you got enough there that you could bundle it together and then sell it in paperback." Okay, because the thing about this strip is that, she, like, the thing about this strip is that she said that when she first started drawing, she drew it for a few years. At least for a substantial amount of time, and it just wasn't going anywhere. Yeah. Right. And at some point, the unicorn character suddenly appeared, uh. and it just lifted this whole thing to another level. Uh. Right. Anyways, my daughter is seven. She uh. loves this one. The only downside of it is that this thing costs a lot of money. <laughs> like every and and the amount of time it takes her to read a book is literally like one day. Like the box from Indigo arrives, yeah. and by evening it's finished. Right. <laughs> and I know it's COVID. We can't go to the library that easily. I've given up. I'm just buying more books for the sake of it at this point. And but this one, the way they collect the anthologies, like if you know, like I used to collect these like comic book collection things all the time as a kid, right? Like yeah. the For Better or For Worse Treasury or a Peanuts Treasury. Once a year, there'd be a new volume, right? You go 365 days and there's a new volume at the bookstore. This this lady with the unicorn. Yeah. 
I counted the pages. They've cut it in half. So every six months, there's another volume. Right? Oh. So it's like 15 bucks every six months. Like this is a good gig they got going on here. I guess you can buy the box set. Save yourself a few bucks. <laughs> yeah, but I'm trying to ration it out, right? Like my, the one thing is like, I love comics. I love how they get kids into reading, yeah. right? I also want the kids to read other stuff, right? So if we throw them like a box set with like eight volumes of comics, it just feels, you know, it's like, it's like that feeling after you go to the comic shop and you overdose in the bargain bin and come back, you read everything and then you're done, right? We need to pace it out so they have stuff to look forward to. Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying in terms of value for money, especially if your kid's not the type to reread and savor mm -hmm. and go over the pages. Because mm -hmm. uh, my son will be, likes these uh, this manga called Splatoon based on the video game. Okay. Uh, anyway, they uh, every few months they'll release another volume, and it, it can definitely be the type of thing where some of these some of these type of comic type collections, you buy it in the store, and he's reading it really fast on the way home, and he can be done by the time you get home. <laughs> Actually, I should be to be more accurate. That Splatoon, uh, the writing is a bit dense on that, so that's not one of the ones he would finish on the ride home. But these right. Dogman books, the Dogman oh. books, those ones, there's actually some of the pages have very few words on them. <laughs> there's almost no writing. To call it reading <laughs> is a bit of a stretch of what the word means. <laughs> yeah, it probably is one of those things where where they uh, kind of packaged it up as like, yeah, get your kids to read Dogman. And it's got jokes about pooping and farting, but that's okay because it'll be a gateway to get your kid to start reading and whatever it takes to get them to read, right? I say like, oh, I guess I'm buying whatever, that. Whatever it takes for me to sell some more books because my kids need to retire. I need to retire. But you realize there's no, there's very little reading that they're getting from that particular book. Right. So they're just learning what farts for nothing. Now, Dogman, the thing about Dogman, I think we touched about this before, but it's a it's a spin-off of Captain Underpants. Yeah. And if you read the original Captain Underpants, there are sequences in Captain Underpants where you know, it's kind of like a book within a book where the two main characters will draw a comic, right? That's right. And Dogman is one of the comics that they draw. Captain Underpants is another one of the comics that they draw. But interspersed with that is there's actually text. There are actually stories that happen to Harold and the other dude. I can't remember his name. Aaron George. Yeah. So, you know, it's one thing to read a book and then have a few pages of Dogman comics thrown in rather than going the whole way with Dogman because really there's very little content. Yeah. Medical dads give a thumbs up to Captain Underpants. That's actually not a bad series to get your young, youngish reader to be right. interested enough in the material to read it. Uh, right. But uh, the spinoffs like Dogman, uh, entertaining, but that's kind of more the candy of, of books. Uh, or at the well, very least, not... They're gonna pay full price. Well, the the medical dad's comic podcast will also give those a thumb up, thumbs up. In case you were in case you were ever fearful that your children might grow up and not care about comics, this is a good way to get them into comics, yeah. but not reading necessarily. That's right. Talk about farts and poops. Yeah, whatever it takes to get them to read <laughs> comic books, but not whatever it takes to get them to read. <laughs> so. That was so Phoebe and her unicorn is a big hit. We have to thank you for that. I'm 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 actually eagerly waiting for the later part of this episode when you unveil some other ones that we're gonna we're gonna try out. Right? That's my secret reason for doing this show. Well, if if we're just gonna maybe talk a little bit about these more graphics novel style books before diving into things that are more just print. Uh, mm. then I'll, I'll throw out another one that I realized that my son's been really into and that when I read a little bit with him the other day, I, I was like, oh, yeah, this is good. Uh, Big Nate. Have you ever heard of this? Oh, Big Nate 
I've seen it. It's it's kind of looks like uh, it kind of looks like Diary of a Wimpy Kid from the outside, right? Structurally, I think the cover is kind of similar. Uh, yeah, I could see that. Uh, you, if you look at the outside, Big Nate by uh, by Lincoln Pierce is the name of the author. But when you okay. look at the book on the outside, you might think that oh, this is another one of these Diary of a Wimpy Kid type of things with some cartoony pictures interspersed with the kid writing journal right. entries. But is it's not, or it is? No, it's not. It's actually. Uh, it reads similar to something like Phoebe and the Unicorn, where uh, every three or six panels is sort of a joke that you might see in a, in the funny pages, where it's just that that's all you need to understand like the joke. But when you okay. string them together, it sort of tells a story. So now the question is, so this is an important question, because in our house, Diary of a Wimpy Kid actually got banned by my wife, <laughs> right? And it's because it, the stories are a little bit coarse. You've read Diary of a Wimpy Kid, right? Or a little bit of it. I've seen the right? movie. Like the stories use language such as like moron, shut up, like like there's an older brother. They're always feuding with each other. Yeah. It's all harmless fun. But at the same time, it's like, do you want your first grader or second grader <laughs> learning the word moron? Like, dad, what does M-O-R-O-N mean? Right. Like, so my wife said, this is not age appropriate. And I'm inclined to think, you know, as we go through the list, that depending on how liberal you want to be with your kids reading tastes, some of these things are not necessary. You know, we can be entertained by things without, you know, you know, dropping into this level of language. So Diary of a Wimpy Kid, although we love it, we think it's very funny, you know, has gotten itself on the in, in hot water in our house. So your... is Big Nate OK to read or is it also one of these? I, I, I don't think Big Nate will end up on your banned book list, um, but the one my son was showing me one where it was like uh, uh, this sort of story in this one was that Big Nate or this kid called Nate is gonna uh, uh, he accidentally upsets a bully, uh, which then leads to the bully wanting to beat him up by the end of the day. So mm. there's a bit of tension there, I suppose, depending on just how much of reality you're trying to shield your child. No, from. tension is fine. Tension is good. Yeah. It's just specifically the language. Like, do they, do they start yelling at each other with stupid and shut up and all the, like, these kind of words? Yeah, I don't, uh, I don't recall it as having a lot of that. So I think all it's right. probably fine uh, for somebody <laughs> your daughter's age, for sure. Okay. Um, I think it's, I think it's pretty, I think it's pretty harmless. Hmm. Yeah. I think you could give, give Big Nate a try and, and, and see what you think. Now, do you have, do your kids read just paper books or do they ever read things off like an e-reader or like an Amazon Kindle or something? No, we don't have them reading off, a, off of an e-reader or a Kindle or that type of thing. And to be honest, at this age, I don't really see the, what the point of that is. The point is that Big Nate is on like the Amazon service. So for a monthly fee, you can get all the Big Nate books for free. That's actually where I saw uh, it originally. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm a, I, the medical dad is always for money saving. So, <laughs> yeah, Amazon has like this subscription service where I believe you pay somewhere between five and eight bucks a month or something, yeah. and you get unlimited access to this entire catalog of children's books. Yeah. And it includes a lot of stuff. Like all the Harry Potter books are in there, all the big Nate books. There's a whole bunch of stuff. But the thing is, the Amazon Kindle is not the easiest device to use right. for kids. And even for adults, like as we sit there reading, like I use mine a lot for yeah. reading because it's just fast. Like if I'm, you know, I'm, I'm curious about a book, I can download a sample of it right away. Yeah. And I, 
honestly, I own too many books. So this is a nice way for me to like keep my house organized without having to worry about it. Yeah. But it's not as pleasurable as actually owning an actual book, which for kids, I think is a nice thing. You know, when their book comes or this book that they really love, it's actually a physical thing they can hold in their hand. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't. I mean, there's no reason why I would say we're going to out and out ban kids reading books electronically. But I think there's definitely value in kids doing something that's off of a screen. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, when you're reading off an e-reader or an iPad or that type of thing, then uh, it's certainly tempting to then open other tabs or, or, or do something else. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, or it just leads into more screen. Um, but I think this is maybe a, like a good little uh, juncture at which to do a bit of a detour from just our straight out book recommendations to talk about this idea of when the books pile up. Because right? <laughs> at first, all you care about as a parent is getting your kids to read. And you never envision a scenario where your complaint is going to be, well, we have too many books. Uh, you know, you're just thinking uh, if they can read, great. Especially if your child is uh, slow to warm up to reading at the beginning. Right. But as you get to the point where the kids are, are reading, especially if you have a voracious reader, you do have this issue where the place is now overflowing with books and some of them are no longer, like they've outgrown them. They're no longer sort of appropriate right. for their age in the sense that they've outgrown them. Uh, so this, uh, this is a podcast unto itself. I, I've spent most of my adult life dealing with this issue in one way, shape or form, <laughs> right? Like I still have, if you go to my parents' house, I have like two bookcases that are full of books. Those books have basically remained static since like 1998 when yeah. I went away for university, right? And they're they're behind like this these glass doors, right? Yeah. You can't the shelves are behind these glass doors, and basically for 20 years they lay dormant. But recently, because my daughter is now seven, yeah, I've opened the glass and there are some gems in there that she can read. It's like it's amazing. Okay, yeah. so. So I'm a big advocate of trying to keep some of these books if you can. I mean, th there's way too many to keep all of them. Yeah. But one thing you will find as we go through this episode is that I'm all about re finding these classic books, right? And having our children read the books that we liked as kids <laughs> and seeing what they think about it and seeing if those stories still resonate rather than saying we can only read stuff from like 2015 onwards, right? right? Which, is, which is what happens when you go to the bookstore to look for reading material. Like it's always being refreshed. Yeah. So, so what, how do you s overcome then the problem of just too many books in the house? How do I overcome the problem? I, I just, I just went on wayfair.ca and bought another bookcase the other day. <laughs> the only solution is more and more bookcases. <laughs> I have a big basement for this. <laughs> All the walls are bare. I, I, I envision in time, they will be full of books. We will circle back to this on our episode <laughs> on hoarding. <laughs> Oh, man. You know, it's funny. The other day, my wife's um, mother dropped off like a big box of books from their place. And yes. as we're going through them, we're just looking at it saying like, these just aren't books that the kids are going to be interested in reading. Some of these books uh, just just won't get read. Uh, mm -hmm. And so um, I think my wife's mother was talking to her and saying, yeah, so... You know, like, did the kids love the books? And what are you doing with the books? And she's saying like, yeah, yeah, you know, there was too many of them. We, we're going to put them, we're going to get rid of them. And she's saying, oh, get rid of them. Get rid of them how? And I was like, <laughs> put them on the curb for the recycling. And she was just like, no, no, you can't do that. The books books can't ever be trashed. We, we'll come back and pick them up. And this is COVID times, right? So there's no small rigmarole to like, get these books and take them back. But they're like, we, we will come and rescue the books. 
Uh, I think actually it was, your father will come to rescue the books and we'll find some charity or something to give him to. This is a person who, when they read Fahrenheit 351 or 451, whatever the number was, they must have broken down in tears at, at that story when the books got burned. Well, I think there is this sort of innate sense that people have that the destruction of books is the first step towards the downfall of society and freedom. Yes, I, I saw that scene in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. <laughs> I mean... The thing is, like you said, there's just way too many of these books, right? Right. And, you know, a lot of them are junk. Like, I have, I bet that on that bookcase in my childhood home, yeah. I have books that people, even the writer that wrote those books doesn't know they exist anymore, <laughs> right? Like, there's, I have the biography of Oral Hershiser, the MVP of like the 1989 World Series, <laughs> right? I don't know why it's there. I just can't bring myself to throw it away. <laughs> one right? day you'll get back to that one. <laughs> Yeah, this says, uh, there's something sort of personal about books, too, and all that kind of stuff. But I, yes. I think it does sort of tie into people's general uh, problem with with just too much stuff in okay. modern society and people's inability to get rid of stuff. We need to take a detour from this detour yeah. and find out, when you finished medical school, what did you do with your medical school textbooks? Are they still in your house? Uh, I think I got a couple of them somewhere. Um, <laughs> but... I think I lost half of those books before I even finished med school. <laughs> <laughs> I have almost all of them, right? And then the ones I don't have is only because my wife went to a different medical school and we had double. So we th I threw out a few because I was like, I don't need two histology books, <laughs> right? I didn't read the histology book at the time of the class. I certainly don't need to store two of them in perpetuity. Right. And she's always got this argument like, well, save these books for the kids. I'm like, uh, what kid is going to want, even if they went to become a doctor, what are they doing reading 30 year old medical textbooks? Right. Like if somebody gave you a 30 year old textbook right now, <laughs> it would be a, a, a historical curiosity, but it would hardly be something you'd be studying from. So I have like we have these one of our issues with book storage is that our bookcases especially when you have little kids you're always worried that the bookcase will topple over yes so i have i have bottom loaded the bottom shelf with the <laughs> medical textbooks so i got my stedmans and my netters anatomy atlas yeah. those are all tucked into the bottom shelf and an elephant and piggy are on the row above it that's that's what those books are for at this point in time in the chio library at the children's hospital of east ontario there's a basement with a with a library and they have a few just really old books that they sort of decorate the place with, just like on shelves. Just to, <laughs> So you'll go and study at a certain like little right. uh, nook, and then there's some books on the shelf. Anyway, one day I was down there, and I pulled out one of the books, and it was a, a, a pediatrics textbook from, uh, I think, the 40s or 50s, somewhere in that time mm. frame. And it's just I'm reading through the introduction. They're talking about how to uh, approach the child. And they're mm. saying, you know, they they... they they're writing how the child is almost certainly going to be brought in by the mother. Right? The typical child is brought in by the mother, uh, who often will be prone to being nervous and anxious uh, about a condition that's benign. Uh, and they're saying like a good way to help break through that is to start off by a well-placed compliment uh, can often disarm the mother's fears. Uh, as even something small like complimenting the child's dress or hairstyle will often help put the mother at ease and bring her back from her hysteria. Um, so I guess in that sense, it's sort of helpful to hold on to old books uh, to sort of see how far we've come, right? Or, or to, to have an understanding of how people thought back in the day. 
But if you actually handed that textbook to somebody and said, oh, I, I kept my book from the 40s, you know, I think this will give you a leg up in medical school. The kid starts reading that. Oh, gosh, can you imagine? <laughs> yeah. When, when I renovated our medical office, one of the older doctors, he had all his old textbooks sitting there. And like, these are like really old, right? Similar to what you're seeing. It's, it was like the manual of medicine back when homosexuality was a disease, right? right? Those boys, like what is the purpose of keeping these books around on any shelf in 2021? <laughs> yeah. Historical curiosities. That's, that's about it. <laughs> Having said that, I just can't bring myself to throw this stuff out. That is ultimately the problem. <laughs> Well, it ties into that idea of a lot of times people can't throw something out if it's going into the garbage. If they can delude themselves into thinking that someone else is making use of it somehow, then that makes it more <laughs> palatable. So you find these yes. parents yeah, holding on to these books to give to some, to, like, as of yet unconceived grandchildren uh, <laughs> who will then probably scribble on it, destroy it, and it'll get thrown away anyway. So in my house, I'm actually the one that's more willing to part with stuff. Like, my daughter refuses to part with anything, yeah. right? And my wife is just as bad, right? <laughs> I'm not even that good at it, but out of, the th out of us, I'm the one that's most likely to throw something out. Yeah. But even for me, when it comes to books, I'm the one that's likely to throw things out. But many times in my life, you know, I finally got motivated to throw a few books out, and I, I looked at some book, I was like, ah, I'll never read this. And then at some point, like two, four years later, I'm like, where's that book? I want to read it now, <laughs> right? And I've, I've gone marching around the house trying to find like Vikram Seth's A Suitable Boy. I don't know why I wanted to throw it out. I hadn't finished it, yeah. right? It's like this three volume novel that's like 1500 pages long. I had to reorder the thing on <laughs> Amazon, right? It's just better to keep the book, right? Because you never know when you might want to read it. That's, uh, that's the honest <laughs> truth I find. <laughs> I think when it comes to the kids' books, it's fair to ask the kids, you know, are you still reading this or, or you know, do you want to keep this book? And if they're saying no, then, you know, you could probably buy that book again if they want That's, it again in the next 10 years. That sounds a lot like, you know, when they produce all that artwork and you're like, I'm throwing this one out. Should I keep it or not? Like, they'll never say, oh, get rid of that. <laughs> I've never heard them say that answer. Have you heard of this concept before? Uh, the Little Library. Yes, I have heard of it. This is a pre-COVID thing, right? Where you put a bunch of books on a shelf. Some people put that shelf outside their house, kind of like an extra mailbox. And people walk by, borrow a book, drop off a book of their own, and you can do like nice book exchanges. Yeah, yeah. I've, I, I know a, f a family friend who does it and I've, I've seen it. Now, now that I know about it, I've, I notice it when I'm out that it's mm -hmm. almost like people build these little birdhouses uh, yes. that, that have a glass case and whatnot that you can put books in. Right. Um, I've played around with the idea of putting one of these in my doctor's office. That's just a way for people to just take some of these extra books off of me. Yeah. Right. But then COVID happened and it's like, well, people don't even come to the doctor's office anymore. Do I really want to touch a book that someone sneezed on a few minutes ago? Probably not. I don't know. I mean, do people get like, is book something that people would even be looking for at their doctor's office? Like, uh, <laughs> don't you guys hand out condoms? Isn't that more? Maybe you should have a little condom <laughs> library. Take a condom, yeah. leave a condom type thing. It's probably not the right target audience. <laughs> but uh, I do kind of wonder, does it work for people who do do this the library thing? Do, do, you know, do people actually come and take the books? And do people leave books that you then read? Apparently, people do do it, especially in these neighborhoods where there's more people of the similar age group, you know, more hippies that are into trading books and stuff. Yeah. Th not likely to fly in our immigrant neighborhood here, <laughs> most likely. Uh, my, uh, my mental block with this stuff is often I just can't shake the thought that a lot of people read books on the toilet. 
that I'm reading somebody's <laughs> toilet book. <laughs> and by a lot of people, you mean ourselves. Since we read books on the toilet, we know you guys are also reading books on the toilet. I am above reading books on the toilet. I write books on the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> now, there's nothing wrong with reading books on a toilet as long as you finish reading pre-wiping. Right. The problem is if you wipe and then you continue reading, <laughs> then I would have a problem borrowing your books from your little library. <laughs> Keep your little library to yourself. Well, what if you th- what if you wiped because you thought you were done and then you realize, oh no, I'm not finished. <laughs> no, no, you cannot. If you're done after wiping, you have to take a break from reading. <laughs> right. Like I've noticed that with my daughter, yeah. she loves reading. Always has to, like if she's into a book. Right. I'm like, hey, it's time to floss your teeth. She'll open her mouth and I'm trying to floss her teeth, but she's still reading around me. And the the scary thing is I know someone who did that kind of stunt before me (laughs) growing up. That was me. I was the dude with the with my head in a book, no matter where we went. Right. Your parents had to swing by the bathroom and be Dave, (laughs) if you're going to read on the toilet, don't lick your fingers before you turn the pages. Well, if I had to go out somewhere with my parents, I'd always make sure I had a book on me, right? Yeah. And usually I would make sure I have two, right? Just in case I happen to finish one while I'm out or something happens and that book takes a turn for the worse. There have to be two books on me at all times. <laughs> oh, man. My daughter is, is similar to this where we're saying, okay, we're going out for a walk because you guys have been inside too long. We have to go outside to get some sun. And we're going out the door. And I'm like, no, you can't bring a book on a walk because <laughs> right? we're just walking. You can't read and walk at the same time. Right, right. Or or reading in the car. Like, that drives me nuts. The kids think that this is fine. And I'm like, you're going to get a headache. It's impossible to read in the car. I don't know why you guys have to attempt, insist on bringing a book into the car. Uh, I, I, I don't think I've really found that to be a big problem. I mean, my kids read in the car, and I don't, I don't worry about it. <laughs> what, do your kids get car sick or something when they read in the car? Uh, no, I do. I find I can't read well when we're in a car, so therefore no one else is allowed to do it. <laughs> Like you're driving, and if you happen to look back and see the cover of the book, you might be like, oh, oh start vomiting all over the steering wheel. <laughs> I told you, so, kids, those books will get us killed. So we've detoured enough. Back to the books themselves. Yes. <laughs> so you were talking about graphic books, right? And you, you were saying Big Nate. So the graphic book that I'm going to try, like I have not attempted to read this with my children, but I have just purchased it. It has arrived. Uh-huh. So people will have to check back in a few months to see if it's successful. But it is this thing. Asterix. Right? Dave is, yes. for those who can't see, which would be everybody <laughs> who's listening to this podcast, <laughs> Dave just held up to the screen the book Asterix. Yes, Asterix. So Asterix is a famous comic strip. I believe it's French. And think, yeah. or is it Bel is it Bel I think it's French. It might be from Belgium, but I think it was originally written in French because half yeah. of Belgium and is it's French. A, right? And it's a very famous comic strip. It's probably about thirty years old at this point. And there's like a nice collection of thirty stories that I read as a kid. Absolutely hilarious, classic material. Like this is if you want to get your kids into this actually is not that easy to read. The level of reading in these comics is kind of dense. Yeah. Right. Um, They use a lot of long words. They they make a lot of like linguistic jokes in this book. Right. So, you know, some like one of the characters names, all their all their names end in X, like Asterix. Right. And then the next character is Obelix. But the side characters all have these funky names like Dogmatics and Vital Statistics. Right. (laughs) Cacophonics. So this is a joke that only adults would understand. But it must sound it sounded humorous to us as kids. And as kids, you could decipher some of the words because I remember reading it like in grade school and be like, oh, Vital Statistics. That's kind of funny. (laughs) Right. 
But this is what we're going to try to read as the next project on graphic art and part of the take our kids back through our childhood through reading project of mine. This very much sounds like uh, the classic medical dads trying to get the kids into what we were into way back when, <laughs> or in this case, even worse, things that we think we should have been back into way back when that we kind of missed out on and now we're trying to recapture. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. This, this would be very comparable to try to get your kids to read the some of the original Smurfs uh, uh, yeah, like these European comics of that time. Like the most famous ones are Smurfs, Asterix, and the other one would be Tintin. That's right. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, that, that's that's my recommendation going forward. All right. Well, we'll check back in with you uh, in a few podcasts and see how that resonated with your family. And then if if it did, then we'll recommend it. But we should uh, we should make a few suggestions that aren't comics that are actually yes, flat yes, out books. actual reading. Yeah. Did you already have uh, one on top of mind, or do you want me to go so, first? Why don't you go first? Okay. All of my recommendations are ancient classics from my childhood, 35-year-old classics. you got to hit me with some new stuff. All right. Well, so some of the ones that my daughter were really into, uh, my brother, as a gift, got uh, a book called Nevermore uh, for my daughter. Mm. Um, and it's uh, Nevermore is a part of a series. So this is uh, yeah. she started reading this when she was probably about 9 or going on 10. Um, mm. and there's, I think at least three books in the series. Um, so I'd recommend that one. If your kids, if your kids have already read through all the Harry Potter books and they like some of that, uh, magic, uh, secret society type of stuff, then, uh, then is this the, this book is a secret. Is that the book? Uh, no, that's a separate one. I think I recommended that on a previous, uh, podcast, uh, yes. a book called the name of this book is secret by pseudonymous yes. botch. Um, right. And then that's part of a series. So yeah, still I still recommend that one. Okay, so how's that series going? Did you finish Harry Potter at your house and yes, move on to this? That's right. The last time we were talking about this, we were I was in the stage of reading them a book every night. Um, right. And we were reading our way through Harry Potter. So we finished Harry Potter and we did move on to the Secret series. So although before my daughter had loved it, I hadn't actually read it myself. Uh, but now mm. I've read the first book and I'm about halfway through the second book reading it with them. Um, yeah. And yeah, it's written in a... Uh, it's written in a style probably similar to the Lemony Snicket books uh, okay. or similar to some of the Roald Dahl books where the author is talking directly to you as the reader and is cognizant of the fact that he's telling you a story in a book that you were reading. Uh, mm -hmm. Part of the humor of it is often the author trying to say that, you know, the stuff I'm telling you about is so secret that for your own protection, I can't even tell you the real <laughs> names of the characters or what they actually look like because you might go out and find them. But then every <laughs> once in a while, he'll sort of slip up and be like, ah, I shouldn't have told you that. But all right, well, I, I, as you can tell, I'm not actually good at keeping secrets. Now, I've purchased this book, and my daughter has read the opening maybe 20 pages of it, and it is not a hit no as way. of now. Like, she, was gonna, she thanked you for Phoebe and her unicorn, but she had to tell you that this series sucks so far. Tell me, is it going to get better? <laughs> I don't know. If she's not liking it so far, then she might not, get, she might not <laughs> like it. I don't know. My oldest daughter is the kind of reader where like, she'll, she'll finish almost anything she starts mm. Uh and then at the end, tell you like if it was good or okay or whatnot. But if uh, if your daughter didn't, if she wasn't pulled in by the first sort of like 20, 30 pages, then I, I would say don't, uh -oh. don't make her read the rest. Got it. Got it. Okay. I mean, and there's nothing wrong with that. Part of reading books is figuring out what you like and what you don't like. And we all have different tastes. And our children all have different tastes, even, even if it drives us crazy. Yeah. Well, another recommendation for my daughter was... Uh, uh, the Land of Stories, mm. 
end of story is by Chris Chris Colfer, is the guy okay. who writes these. Um, so uh, I think I've talked in the past about a series called Whatever After, the Whatever After series. The Whatever After series are these books about a, a girl who, uh, I think she has a magic mirror or something to this effect, that she realized that when she goes through it, she now ends up in uh, whatever fairy tale or, or classic story that you may have written before or read before. So, for hmm. example, she'll end up in Alice in Wonderland or she'll end up in uh, Little Red Riding Hood or she'll end up in uh, The Little Mermaid. And mm-hmm. part of what makes the books kind of fun is that she uh, often talks about how we are familiar with the Disney version of this story. But uh, actually, the original story is often very different from the Disney version. And then when yes. she goes into the story, she ends up often having to help a character from the story realize their destiny or that type of thing. So for whatever reason, my kids really liked those books, but those are targeted to kids who are a bit younger. Like, for example, mm-hmm. my seven-year-old, uh, she's reading those books now. Um, mm-hmm. And she started off reading it when she was six with my wife reading a page and trying to get her to read a page. And we're using these to get her to read independently. But mm-hmm. this other series I'm recommending, The Land of Stories, uh, this is sort of a more mature version of the concept of a, of a character going into these uh, stories. But the books mm-hmm. are much thicker and uh, the stories are a lot deeper. Anyway, my daughter's liking those ones. I just grabbed one off her shelf just to, so I didn't know what the author's name was. And this one is The Land of Stories Beyond the Kingdoms. Uh, and it looks like they go into The Wizard of Oz uh, and they cross over a little bit to Alice in Wonderland. Okay, so this might be good for a 9 or 10-year-old is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, or even Perfect. like 9, 10 plus. Sure. Since you told me about this like reading with your kid at night, like bedtime story thing, yeah. I immediately was like, we got to implement this. I don't, I don't know why we had stopped doing this because originally we did used to read to them close to bedtime and then we had kind of gone away from it. But now we've resumed again. So this is a medical dad's accomplishment. Nice. Right. Something about our show has affected real life in a little bit of a way. So, so I was like, okay, what am I going to read with her? And I decided I'm going to try to read Gordon Corman to her. Do you remember Gordon Corman? Oh, I think we've yes. talked about this. We did talk about yes. this. This is the author himself was a bit of a child prodigy. His, his first book came about when he was in grade seven. His teacher sort of challenged yes. him to write a book over the summer or something like right. that. So for Canadian kids of our generation, we will remember him and his books because they were always in our school libraries. They were required reading for some of these books for some of my glasses. Yeah, the book that you're talking about was called This Can't Be Happening at McDonald Hall, right? And it was a series of books called the Bruno and Boots series. These, these two dudes who are living at a boarding school, like just outside Toronto, and they have all these adventures, these crazy adventures on school grounds yeah. because they're either trying to save the school or fundraise for the school or do something that's not approved by by their stern headmaster. And I love these books as a kid, yeah. right? I like I've probably read Go Jump in the Pool like 20 times in my life. I own a copy, right? But the sad thing is I could never find anyone else that was interested in this series. Like I know it's popular and many of us have heard of it, but I remember growing up, my immediate circle of friends, no one read this, right? My sister hated this series, right? I was always like, you got to read Gordon Corbin. She was like, eh, whatever, I, I don't like this kind of book, right? So... I had this was part of my collection that had been sitting there for many, many years. And I was like, this is it. We're going to try to read this to my daughter. Yeah. Right. And it's gone pretty well. Like she's into it. We read about five or six pages a night. Yeah. And it really it like for me, like some of the stories I know very well, like go jump in the pool because I owned it 
I had read it so many times. It was like, it's like visiting like an old friend that you knew really well. Some yeah. of his other books, I've only read a few times because I didn't own. So as I read those, I'm like, wow, I, I kind of remember this. I don't really remember it. So for the dad, it is a nice trip down memory lane with this stuff. And he's still writing books. Yeah. He has many series now. Like I think it, when I looked at his bibliography, like there's over like 80 to 100 books in that thing. Like this guy is like a voracious writer. Yeah, well, if he started when he was that young, I, I looked him up on Wikipedia just a little while ago, and he it said that he has written over 90 books. Yeah, yeah. Most of them are pretty good, honestly. And thing is, like, the, the books are well-targeted to their age group. Like, he's very effective at, like, he, later in his career, like, after this McDonald Hall stuff, he wrote a bunch of books for teenagers. Yeah. So there was a book called, like, Don't Care High, uh, semester in the Life of Garbage Bag. I love these books. And I was just growing up. I basically kind of grew up with them. As he started writing for older kids, I read those too. So there's a lot of material in there. This is classic stuff. So if your kids are at all curious about it, give this a try. But you can try Go Go Jump in the Pool. It's probably my all-time favorite. Yeah. Uh, the yeah. guy was smart to start writing when he was so young. When you think, I mean, I, I would... I think I could write a book or would love to write a book sort of set in that elementary, late elementary school, maybe early mm -hmm. high school setting. But it would be a lot easier to write that honestly and accurately if you were still in elementary school and high school. Right? Like if I was trying to write that now, <laughs> people like, what could school this guy go to? <laughs> you know, another blast from the past if you're looking for books to read with kids. Uh, do you remember Choose Your Own Adventure books? Yes. Does that still exist? Uh, they do still exist. They do still exist. I don't know if they're making new ones right now, but at some mm. point there was the original sort of series was written, I think, mostly by a particular author. Uh, but then the concept continued. So there's sort of a second wave of newer choose your own adventure books. Mm. Um, so if you go to any library, uh, they always have like a section for, for where the choose your own adventure books. And often mm -hmm. those books are all checked out. Because uh, the, the gimmick is still quite effective for kids, especially those <laughs> younger ones where you might not even be letting the or having them read completely independently, but you're still reading with them. Uh, it's right. way more engaging uh, for them if you're reading something like a Choose Your Own Adventure book where they can actually have some choice about what to do next. Interesting. I've never even thought of that. Yeah. That was not a series that I enjoyed that much as a kid. It seemed kind of gimmicky at the time. Oh, it's very gimmicky. And <laughs> not every Choose Your Own Adventure book is as good as every other one. But uh, I remember as a kid uh, having a piano lesson or something where you did it at the school. And while mm -hmm. I was waiting for my turn, one of the older kids who was there was this girl. And she started reading me a Choose Your Own Adventure book. And uh, yeah, right, right then and there, I, 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 like, I really fell in love with those books. Uh, <laughs> or maybe it was the girl. I, <laughs> or maybe some, maybe they spilled over. But one way or another, Choose Your Own Adventure books. If I could ever get my hands on a copy of The Green Slime, which was the original Choose Your Own Adventure book that I... I read that time, I'd be so happy. I'd read that to my kids with such delight. But you can't so, find it now. It's not in print anymore. So there's another interactive book that comes to mind when you talk about Choose Your Own Adventure, and that's Encyclopedia Brown. So I recently went back to my parents' house and took the entire Encyclopedia Brown section out. Yes. Like I, have, I own like five of them and gave them to my daughter to read. Yeah. And she's lapping them up. And I'm like, are you able to solve any of these cases? Because... As a detective, as a boy detective, my success rate was really, really poor. Like, I, you, there'd be 10 cases in a book. I might get one. Like, it was, I was between zero and one most of the time. I think she might be a little bit better than me at this. 
Well, I, I think I recommended these uh, Encyclopedia Brown books in a previous podcast because my kids, my kids love them. And that was another thing where I remembered those stories uh, and mm -hmm. thought, oh, my kids would like them. And I got that, that out. And we, we at right. one time had the audio CD in my van for uh, right. uh, that on tape. And oddly enough, my kids actually don't just enjoy those stories, but they've reread them and they'll listen to the audio <laughs> tape again and again. Uh, well, I mean, we reread them as kids, right? I've read most of those more than once. Just to feel smart that you that you figured out the mystery. Like, <laughs> They're just like, entertaining. But the thing about it is, I looked this up. The Donald J. Sobel, the writer of that series, kept writing those books until about 2010, 2012, when he passed away. Really? So there are newer there are newer books that we probably have not read, like the later part of that series. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to digging into some late Encyclopedia Brown material and testing the skills of the adult boy detective. <laughs> well, I I, I, I didn't have a, a stockpile of these books from before, so I ended up buying a few box sets. So I, I think we might have them all, uh, like mm, all the new that's ones. Possible. But, that's uh, possible. That's possible. Have to take a look. <laughs> but I, well, I'll tell you what I'll do. If maybe what I'll do is I'll write uh, an Encyclopedia Brown esque story for you and see if you can solve the mystery. <laughs> <laughs> but my kids at one point really loved me to tell them stories. If we're on a long right. car ride, tell me a story. Bedtime. Oh, my yes. my littlest kid would say when she was like three. Can you tell us a story? Can you, can you read us a story? I'm like, okay, which book? Read us a book that's in your head. Like, I don't know <laughs> what that means. You know, like a story that's in your mind, uh, but where you make up the ending, uh, like a book in your head. So that was her way of asking me to make up a story. So at one point, we had a whole series of stories called Encyclopedia Pink. <laughs> it was like a female version of Encyclopedia Brown who lived in a different town. <laughs> oh, man. I mean... That is a skill, like oral storytelling, right? Like, it, if you are able to pull that off, it does tell you something about your creative energy. <laughs> uh, it tells you something about your energy levels when they're telling you read a book from your head and what should be a proud moment of a dad of how much they love your stories. You're too exhausted to think of a story and you're like, can I just read you a book? <laughs> <laughs> Let me just put the CD on. Here, have a listen to this disc. <laughs> Plenty of bedtime stories were simply episodes of The Mighty Hercules recounted you know, from memory. I got to tell you this. The last time when we did the original books podcast, you made a mention that, you know, about the audiobooks. And I have yes. never been an audiobook guy, but after that episode, I was I was at the Christian bookshop. I was like, well, they got these audio Bible stories and audio life lesson things. Uh, let me and they had a cheap one. It was like one of these starter CDs. Like if you like it, you can then buy the whole thing later. Yeah. So, I put it in and then we're listening and the first story was about like you know, a kid that is playing on a football team, but he doesn't get to play and blah, blah, blah. There's some life lesson there, I right? I know there's any football so, in the Bible. <laughs> no, no. These are life lesson stories, right? Oh, okay. Then we get to the second story, and then my wife gets in the car. So now my, me, my wife, and my daughter are in the car. We're just driving home. We're listening to this new CD, and then this story is a little darker, right? So it's got like, it's got like a kid, and he notices that his classmate is comes to school with like a bruise on his eye right oh. or or like a welt right yeah and then the thing goes in and then it switches point of view to the guy getting bruised and you hear him talking to his dad right and his dad's like no son of mine is ever going to be and then you hear like bam, bam. <laughs> <laughs> and my wife's like what on earth is this awesome. right turn so this, this off a, this like what book. kind of material is this? <laughs> this was an instructional parenting book telling you how to raise children 
yeah from the christian bookstore right it's like very graphic i'm like yeah i don't know what happened there i thought this was supposed to be this was supposed to be a feel-good story like a like a life morality lesson Maybe or something the first tip off is when you saw the title of the book was spare the rod spoil the child <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, I don't even know the title of that, but I just got to say that audiobooks out, okay? Music <laughs> in the car is back in. <laughs> so you you bought one random book at the Christian bookstore, and your takeaway from that was the problem here was that the book was on tape. <laughs> like, not not the fact that you went to the Christian bookstore to find your book. But that but that it was in the audio format. That's where You know, it it's a statement of our society that all the bookstores around us have closed. This is the only bookstore that's there, literally. Like, I used to be a bookstore guy. Like, anywhere I lived, I knew where the nearby bookstore was. You yeah. know, I'd visit once or twice a week just to browse, pick up a few things. All gone. There's no Indigo. There's no Chapters. All the near ones have, have gone, right? Oh. And this is pre-COVID. The only store around was this little Christian bookstore that was near my daughter's school. <laughs> Well, there's this thing called Amazon where you can go online and get books. <laughs> really, really? I've yeah. never heard of it. <laughs> you can even download these audiobooks in real time. <laughs> Although, I actually, I do have a Chapters not far from my house. I, uh, chapters is uh, thriving here in Ottawa, even during COVID, because they do a lot of online stuff. Uh, it's not thriving in this part, in at least in our neighborhood in Toronto. Like, it's... They they've closed a few of the stores that were in our vicinity, so they couldn't it's a struggle. With the big Christian bookstore chain. <laughs> <laughs> I have this I have this dream that someday I'll just own a bookshop. You know, I don't need to practice medicine. We'll own a bookshop. We'll play like our book podcast videos or audio files in the background, and people can come in and chat me up about books because I'm always happy to talk <laughs> about books. That's my dream. Awesome. People come to your bookstore to buy their medical textbooks, and you're like, well, the only one we have in stock is this classic from 2004. <laughs> <laughs> the best part is the pages are pre-highlighted for your, for your ease of use. So here's another here's another series that's getting a lot of attention, and you mentioned his name earlier. So Roll Doll is a big hit in our house. My daughter, you know, I I remembered Roll Doll as a kid, like you know everyone knows Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. But my favorite was Matilda. Okay. And I got her some of these books. She's been reading through them, and then I discovered that he was actually a really nasty man. Like he was actually this rabid anti-Semite, right? <laughs> and I don't know what to make of this. This is, this is kind of like our whole Bill Cosby issue, right? Yeah. Like, as you read these books, you're kind of like, you know, it's this whole separating art from the artist business again. Yeah. And it it's just sad that in this day and age that even like a, you know, I mean, the other one that came up in the news recently was Dr. Zeus, right? Dr. We can Zeus. talk about that too. But Roald Dahl has been criticized heavily. And I think some of his books, uh, have some of his books been pulled off the shelf? It's possible. Uh, it's well, you know, uh, to put that in perspective, an, a more modern uh, author who's having a similar difficulty right now is the J.K. Rowling, the Harry Potter author. Mm. Yeah, she made the obvious blunder of uh, speaking out against uh, uh, transgender. Uh, oh like, yes, right, right, and then. Uh, I guess whatever statement she made, she tried to like dig in more and try to justify what she said. Uh, but like the more she spoke, the sort of deeper hold she dug for herself. And mm -hmm. you know, especially in nowadays with the cancel culture, uh, you know, people were on her instantly. So now I, I'm reading these articles, and to be fair, I I. 
didn't really read through what it was she originally said. I've read all these articles talking about how you should react to what she said that only give you sort of links to like to hear what she said, to click through these several articles. But they so, so they frame the narrative that whatever she said was wrong. So let's take it that it's wrong. <laughs> so we're going to do a podcast discussion about something we don't know what she said, but we think it was wrong. Which is exactly what everybody is doing for the most part right now. Uh, so it's yes. probably quite fair to approach it that way. <laughs> but the point is, uh, there are now articles people are writing about, okay, so we've decided that to support J.K. Rowling is evil, but how do you reconcile the fa- that with the fact that you love Harry Potter? And mm-hmm. you know, Harry Potter is actually quite popular as a character, as a series, with uh, transgendered people, right? Um, mm. Like something about that series uh, and, you know, these characters who are uh, like different in a, in, a, in a world that's like, uh, like they don't fit in with the world around them, stuff like that. That resonated with people uh, who now are mortified that their hero is like uh, seemingly anti or is a transphobic, right? Mm-hmm. So, so there's this article that was talking about how can you still be a Harry Potter fan without supporting the uh, the author? Uh, because the idea of actually just sticking to your principles and saying I'm not reading her books is just not possible for some fans, I guess. <laughs> so they talked about things like, you know, what some people do is they only read uh, Harry Potter books that have uh, already been sold so that they can read the stories without the author getting any money. And they don't buy any new merchandise or, or like any new movies, but they'll watch a Harry Potter movie that say is they they already owned on. Well, DVD that's a that's a pretty good approach, given that the series is over. Like I don't know <laughs> what else they're buying. <laughs> I mean, if you buy a new edition of the book, right, then she would actually get royalties from that. Or right. if you watched uh, if you watched a Harry Potter movie uh, uh, streaming on Netflix, for example, that money mm-hmm. ultimately would go back to J.K. Rowling in some form or the other. So mm-hmm. there are some people who are taking that approach. So to put that into to tie that into the Raw Dahl situation, I mean the guy's dead now. So uh, <laughs> if you were having that struggle with your Harry Potter approach, Raw Dahl would be an easy out. You can do whatever you want with his books, read them all you like, because he will no longer benefit from that. Well, that in indirectly his his estate is still benefiting from what i read his estate is the one making the money now off his yes however if we're going to hold everybody uh, punish everybody for what their (laughs) forebears done then make no mistake every single one of you listeners you know don't deserve to live because i guarantee you your ancestors did some bad stuff some racist stuff some terrible no matter what ethnicity you are listening to this i'm sure if i go back you've got some some ancestors who did some stuff that would not be acceptable in today's by today's standards. Uh, it's, 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 I mean, I've said it before, but it's just difficult it, in 2021 to like enjoy the books you like, to follow the sports teams you like, to enjoy your favorite television sitcom of the 1980s. Like you just, it's just impossible <laughs> given everything we know about all these people. Yeah, it, it, it really is. I mean, it's one thing if you're reading the stories to your kids and you're like, oh, this story is, has all these anti-Semite messages in it. Mm-hmm. And you, well, like, okay, don't do that. Um, <laughs> but to say that I previously enjoyed this guy's books, but then after his death, it came out that he had some views that we all agree were wrong. Um, but then now I can't like no longer read or enjoy the stories. Uh, I mean, fair enough if you were reading the books now and you're like, I actually can't enjoy the stories because every time I try to read them, I think of this, this all the stuff right. I know about the guy. That's one thing. But if you're right. sort of saying, I love these books, but I just feel like uh, ethically I can't enjoy them anymore. Uh, well, that's... Uh, that's a hard road to travel, I gotta say. 
the other one that came up in the news recently was Dr. Zeus, right? Yeah. I don't know if you saw this story, but a bunch of Dr. Zeus books are getting pulled from publication. Right. They they mostly contain there there are a bunch of books that aren't that popular, and I think the argument was being made that they're just being pulled from publication because they're not selling well. Well, no. But, if I remember the story correctly, it's unlike someone like uh, Raul Dahl or J.K. Rowling. It's not that in the person's personal life they actually made all these racist statements. So it wasn't that Dr. Zeus right. like secretly owned a slave like a cotton plant. Or no, like that. this is the contents of the books specifically. That's right. It's that when you look at the book now. Uh, right with our modern sensibility, you realize that like some of the books had black characters who were caricatures, right, with mm -hmm. big lips, and right. uh, one of them like they talk about cannibals in a certain like part of the book, um, mm -hmm. which sort of reveals that uh, Doctor Zeus uh, was not more enlightened than anybody else in his time, right? right. That Doctor Zeus wasn't uh, like such an advanced uh, like moralistic philosopher that he cut through the veil of time to realize that like yeah actually what i grew up being taught was acceptable actually isn't so right. uh, i mean yeah, a, a few of the pictures were of these these caricatures of chinese people like that was in a couple of the books they basically had these like stereotypical chinese characters wearing like the pointed farmer hat right. type of thing i mean i've read a lot of Dr. Zeus. I enjoy Dr. Zeus. I actually never found that stuff offensive. I mean, it. I think when you read it, you got to realize that these books are, we're reading them out of time, right. right? And if you remember the context of the time, that's just how people perceived outsiders, yeah. right? It's not necessarily meant to be malicious. And honestly, the farmer hat, personally, I hate the farmer hat, that, that triangle thing. But yeah. you know why? Because when I was in high school, my dad went and bought one of those farmer hats. I don't even know how you buy it. Like you can't even find that thing in Chinatown. Like I think you have to go to China. To make right? them. He came back from Asia or something with this like wicker triangular round hat. And then it looked like he was when he's gardening, you know, in North York, it looked like he was in like the bamboo fields of or the rice paddy fields of Vietnam. And as a kid, it drove me crazy. I was like, my parents are always doing stuff to humiliate me. Right. Did he also start speaking in a thick fake asian accent <laughs> oh did they speak in anything other than a thick asian accent really they, they they spoke in a legitimate asian accent but they didn't go around saying things like ah so or stuff like that <laughs> no they don't but so i mean to me it's not offensive right like I I mean, it is part of being an Asian American that we kind of accept that, you know, this is how we were portrayed for many years. Yeah. And, you know, that we were portrayed with slanty eyes during World War II and we were the bad guys if, you know, if we're Japanese and if you're, you know, whatever. Right. So, I mean, yeah. like, I don't think people should take too much offense to it. I feel like in some level we're we're really trying to reduce literature, right? There's a lot of quality in these books. Right. Yeah. You know, sometimes it's like 90 percent of the book's great. There's this one page that's a little off color in 2020, 2021. Like, does that deserve to be pulled from the shelf? I don't know. I don't think so. I, I look at it this way. Uh, in this particular case, where, where it's the content of the books, that's the issue. Uh, I think it's fine to say, yes, yeah, some of Dr. Zeus's books have some images or stuff that when you're reading it now would potentially be harmful because it sends kids the wrong message. Um, so. Fair enough to say, so we're not going to, we're going to either edit the book so it doesn't have that image anymore, or yeah, we're not going to sell that book anymore. Um, 
And I think Dr. Zeus himself, if he was alive now, he would be all for that, right? Dr. Zeus himself would probably be like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, when I drew that back then, that 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 didn't seem wrong at the time. But yeah, obviously, I shouldn't be drawing. I shouldn't be implying that, you know, just because someone's black, that their lips are gigantic and they eat people. Uh, I, I think Dr. Zeus would be okay with that. Uh, so I, that I can live with. It's more just this thing of saying, oh, look, he wrote that in a book. Therefore, all Dr. Zeus books must be like destroyed and the guy must be erased from history like he never existed that, right, that's right. which is not what is happening yeah my my, right. my final point on this topic is just that i couldn't even convince my dad not to wear the hat i'm like take that <laughs> off it's this he just he wouldn't he's like this is this is the best kind of hat to block sun this is what real farmers in china wear i'm like come on it's so like, i mean you know i am asian and i grew up <laughs> reading books that told me this is how i dress <laughs> Exactly. So if he's not offended, as his son, I'm not offended either. Dr. Zeus, do as you please. <laughs> well, I, I do like the idea of uh, these books still being available out there if you want to see them. Right. Mm. Like I get why I would sort of say I, I'm going to choose not to read that particular Dr. Zeus book to my little kid. Um, mm. But I would actually like the ability to say, hey, look, somewhere out there you can go and get this book so that you understand this is what people did back then. Uh, and mm. this is how people wrote. Like it's important for history. Hope everyone got something to read out of this book for their children. If not, tune in again because we're gonna do this again in a few months. That's right. And the bottom line is, please don't hold us accountable for any racist or inappropriate thing we did in a previous podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because we know that if we looked at your ancestors, they're no <laughs> better than us. That's, that's the idea. All right, bye, folks. Bye, folks.